0: Was certainly excited about the nintendo entertainment system but i had been a pretty dedicated atari fan for years at this point and while my friends drifted away from it i had only increased the number of games i had for my atari 2600 and played it still on a regular basis at this point but eventually with the marketing and seeing it in stores I started to get interested in the Nintendo Entertainment System. Certainly the thing that put it over the top was a day trip my family took into New York City and seeing it on a larger screen at FAO Schwartz, which was a magical toy palace, the stuff of dreams, and there it was the Nintendo front and center, a duck hunt being played there and I wanted a Nintendo at that point. But even after I had gotten it, I wasn't pulled in to playing it like most of my friends had. I liked Super Mario Brothers, but it just didn't capture my imagination. Then, one year for my birthday, my grandmother bought me a game for the Nintendo that won me over to the system. I hadn't asked for it, it was just a game she decided to pick out, and when I opened it I didn't even know what to make of it. The cartridge was gold. And I thought, well I've never seen anything like that before. I put it in, the music came up, and I was blown away. Here was a game that seemed like the closest I could get to an open world on a console. It was if someone had taken the game Adventure from Atari and fulfilled its destiny. Besides the cartridge and the music, the thing that most people will remember, and myself included, is the scope of the world being big enough that I had to deploy my own map in the game. And I didn't come to that idea quickly, even though I played Dungeons and Dragons and had to map things all the time. I had piles of graph paper just sitting around my room. It took probably two weeks of struggling and trying to memorize the game for me to think, oh, I should just draw this out. And so I grabbed a piece of graph paper and I started to move through the screens, not trying to play, but just trying to map. That first map sat before me until I got tired of it and its ugliness and I made a better map and then a better map. Eventually, with the mapping and the constant play, I could find my way around that world, Hyrule, like it was my neighborhood. Which was the intention of the people who made this game. I would certainly play computer games that pulled me in. But up until this point, nothing had been as immersive as The Legend of Zelda. It was my new bar in console games. And despite playing lots of other games since then, very few have lived up to it. So on today's show I'd like to talk to you about a remarkable game, an iconic game. One that raised the bar for all games that would follow, The Legend of Zelda. We'll talk about the company and the people behind the game. We'll talk about its development, its release, the story, the music, other Zelda games, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. The Legend of Zelda is an action-adventure fantasy game published and developed by Nintendo. It was originally released in Japan as the Hyrule Fantasy, Zelda no Densetsu. Before we go into the game, let's talk a little bit about the company that made it, Nintendo. Nintendo is a massive multinational company at this point. It is headquartered in Kyoto, Japan, and it sells both video games and video game consoles. But it didn't always do that. It's a pretty old company. It was founded in 1889 as Nintendo Karuta by Fusajiro Yamachi, and it originally created handmade playing cards. Of course, it's difficult to make money as a playing card company forever. So as the years went on and technology became more available, they started to get into other types of things. While some of those other things would sell well, it was in 1977 that they released their first console, the Color TV game. And from then on, they jumped fully into video games, catapulting onto the video game scene with the release of Donkey Kong in 1981. They have not only created a slew of successful video games, they've created franchises that have sold millions of copies and have not only just had one successful video game console, but just a string, year after year, decade after decade, of video game console releases that push the limits on gaming in ways that are different than some other consoles have done. While their first console was in 1977, The one that most people are going to remember as their first console is the Nintendo Entertainment System, or the NES in the United States, or as the Famicom, or Family Computer. This console was released in 1983 as the Family Computer, and would come to the United States a few years later as the NES, or Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, there had been other players in the video game console world in America, but most of them had gotten cleared out or severely injured in the great video game crash of 1983. And while many other people ran away from the console business, Nintendo went into it even more aggressively, helping to revitalize the gaming industry after the crash, introducing not only technology, but business practices, such as licensing deals that are still used today. You do not have a great console without a lot of great games. And that is arguably where Nintendo really shined. They not only released games like Super Mario Bros., but Metroid and The Legend of Zelda. All in the early era of this console that would go on for years. And if those names sound familiar, you might have never even played the original versions of them. Because those games have gotten iterated upon for years afterwards and are still being made today. The Legend of Zelda, though, was originally not going to be released specifically on the Famicom or the Nintendo Entertainment System, but was going to be released on the Family Computer Disk System or the Famicom Disk System. It was a peripheral for the Family Computer released in Japan in 1986 that used proprietary floppy disks called disk cards. These were, as you might guess, data storage. Not only did they contain more space where you could put games on, but also introduced better sound for the Famicom So what it effectively did was took the cartridge out of the system, allowing you to have cheaper games, but then you get this added bonus of better sound. And sound will play a very important part in The Legend of Zelda. This ability to have larger storage also led to the creation of a different type of game, the open-world progress-saving game, and two key games in that would be Metroid and The Legend of Zelda. While the disk system would slowly become obsolete as storage limits grew and technology got better, it had a powerful effect on game development at the time, and they would eventually create 200 games for the disk system library, some being exclusives, others being made for that system and ported to other systems, and that's where The Legend of Zelda comes into the picture Before we talk about The Legend of Zelda, I want to talk a little bit about the people who made the game, because they are not just people who made one game. These are people who have become legends in the industry, starting with Shigeru Miyamoto. Miyamoto was born in 1952. He is a game designer, director, and producer at Nintendo. Maybe one of the most famous and accomplished game designers in the history of games. He is the creator of not just The Legend of Zelda, but Mario, Donkey Kong, and Star Fox. Miyamoto got his start as an artist, that's what he went to school for, and developed an interest in video games, and would join Nintendo in 1977. He would work on an arcade game called Sheriff, but his big breakthrough was the 1981 arcade classic Donkey Kong. As they got into console gaming, Miyamoto's expertise was put to the test, and he created amazing games like Super Mario Bros. and The Legend of Zelda, amongst many others. From that point on, he would be influential in other Nintendo games and is still a creative powerhouse today. His co-creator on The Legend of Zelda was Takashi Tezuka. Tezuka was born in 1960, designer, director, producer. He is currently the senior officer of Nintendo Entertainment Planning and Development, He would join Nintendo in April of 1984. Pretty exciting time to join Nintendo. That's when the console business was exploding. And he would work on lots of great series, including Mario and the Legend of Zelda, writing the script for both Legend of Zelda and Legend of Zelda 2. He also co-designed Yoshi from Super Mario World, which in itself is a pretty great claim to fame. Those two would come together to work on The Legend of Zelda. The programming, though, of the game would be done by Toshihiko Nakago, who worked at Nintendo's partner SRD, and the manual was written by Kaiji Terui, The development of the game itself began in 1984 for the Famicom Disk System, originally intended to be the launch game for that system. And get this, they would work on Super Mario Bros. and The Legend of Zelda at the same time, but very importantly, tried to keep the two games very different. Whereas Super Mario Bros. would be this linear action game, The Legend of Zelda would be the complete opposite. The one thing they had in common, though, was the downplaying of scoring. Instead, it was about completing. Completing the quest. And with Mario, you would use your skill to get better and faster at moving between these worlds. Whereas in Zelda, because it was nonlinear, you had to stop and think about what you were doing. Take a moment to look around, maybe draw a map. If you think about games at the time, usually you jump in and it's action right away. But in The Legend of Zelda, to start off with, you don't even have a weapon. You have to actually go acquire the very thing that made the game playable. Picture playing Pac-Man and your character not being able to eat dots at the beginning. Instead, you had to go find the person who would teach you to eat dots. Then you could start playing this would lead to the idea that this game was a world. And according to Miyamoto, he wanted to give players a, quote, miniature garden that they can put inside their drawer. And he grew up around Kyoto, Japan, and talks about his childhood wandering around outside the city in kind of countryish areas, finding natural surroundings very engaging. That idea, combined with Tezuka's love of Lord of the Rings and fantasy adventure, was a power combination. And the two together created a very compelling and open-feeling world that at the same time has a quaintness to it, a smallness to it that is very comforting to return to. And I think perfectly named character as your avatar is Link, the hero of the story. It's a perfect name because in the game, you are linked to this world. Link is you. You are Link. You might be reading Link's story, but know that you are controlling Link. Originally, the game was going to have a much more technological feel to it, with microchips and electronics, but as the game developed, and as Tezuka got involved, and put his touches on it, and the two collaborated, a lot of that was dropped, and it has more of a sword and sorcery setting, although later games in the series would add technology to fun effect. It must have been a really interesting time to develop games, because the market was much wider at that point. Sure, we knew about arcade games, but Nintendo was rolling into an industry that had collapsed so they could take some chances. And that gave them the freedom to really experiment and come up with this open world concept. It probably would not have been possible, though, without some technology. And while in Japan they could release this on the disk system, in the US they needed something else. And the real game changer was the memory management controller chip. These MMCs are special chips designed by various developers for use in the cartridges themselves that extend the capability of the original console, allowing developers to make games that feature capabilities that the original console couldn't offer alone. And The Legend of Zelda would be put on the MMC1. Which was their first custom MMC. That integrated support for saved games and multi-directional scrolling. Two things very important to The Legend of Zelda. Because when you have an open world, you need to be able to save the game. Are you a fan of the Retroist podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retroist Patreon? Patreon. Go to patreon.com Retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. In the game, a small kingdom in the land of Hyrule is engulfed by chaos when an army led by Ganon, the Prince of Darkness, invades and steals the Triforce of Power. In order to thwart him, Princess Zelda splits the Triforce of Wisdom into eight fragments and then hides them in underground dungeons. Then she is kidnapped by Ganon herself and it's up to you as Link to rescue Zelda and save the kingdom. In the game, Link needs to locate eight underworld labyrinths, defeat their guardians, and retrieve each fragment. Then, with the completed Triforce of Wisdom, you will go into Ganon's hideout in Death Mountain, confront him, and destroy him with your Silver Arrow. To talk about gameplay now, it seems so simple, because The Legend of Zelda exists is why it sounds so simple, but in the game, which is this open world, the player controls Link from an overhead perspective as you travel between a overworld and an underground world. You start off with just a shield, but you can enter a cave at the very beginning and retrieve your sword. Then, in the course of the game, you can acquire other weapons. You could also acquire loot in the form of rupees, which are used to buy more equipment, ability upgrades and information. Hidden throughout the world are these dungeons as I mentioned that you need to find to get all the pieces of the Triforce of Wisdom, and each one has a unique layout that you need to figure out and map out and solve. The good thing is that you can find treasure in these dungeons as you go along that will help you. The game contains over 600 scenes with an overworld of 97 scenes and an underworld consisting of 9 multi-scene labyrinths. So, it is a pretty large world. But, if you're really good at this game, after completing it, you can begin an even more difficult version, the second quest in the game. Other games had done similar things, but none had done it as extensively as Zelda. And if you wanted to jump right into the more difficult Zelda, you could enter the name Zelda when you're creating a game at the very beginning. Now, I didn't go into who you will be fighting in the game, because there was a great commercial that ran at the time that talks about the enemies that you will encounter in this game. So let's give that a listen. Watch Zelda become a legend on your Nintendo Entertainment System. Zelda! Which way to go? Good times! p p hands Zelda! 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 The Zelda. Legend of Zelda. <laughs> A never-ending adventure new for your Nintendo Entertainment System. Zelda! While those are the enemies you fought and you will encounter other characters in the game, the three main characters in the game are Link, Princess Zelda, and Ganon. And they will appear in other games in the Zelda universe moving forward. Link is the protagonist of the series. Link is kind of the every person in the game. Anyone can be Link. You can even rename your character something else that's not Link, and Link will be referred to as that character. As I said, Link is kind of your Link to the game. Princess Zelda is the princess of Hyrule. She's also the guardian of the Triforce of Wisdom. A lot of the Zelda games moving forward have you trying to save Zelda from Ganon, although sometimes she does play a supporting role in the game itself. The name Zelda derives from the novelist and wife of F. Scott's Fitzgerald, Zelda Fitzgerald. Fun fact, Robin Williams was such a big fan of The Legend of Zelda that he named his daughter Zelda. And finally, Ganon, the Prince of Darkness, is the boss in this game and in the majority of Zelda games. Also known as Ganondorf, which sounds a lot more Lord of the Ringsy than just Ganon. He's just the big baddie in most games you need one. Ganon's your guy in this one. The Legend of Zelda was released in Japan for the family computer disk system in February of 1986. It would get a release in North America the very next year, in August of 1987. Then it would get released in Europe on November 15th, 1987. And it would take years before the NES version would get released in Japan. That was in February of 1994. As I mentioned, it was made as the launch title for the Family Computer Disk System, and it would be joined by a re-release of Super Mario Bros. and some other games like golf, soccer, mahjong, tennis, and baseball. One difference between the version in the U.S. and the version in Japan is that the Famicom controllers had built-in microphones. So there's actually a monster in the Japanese version that you defeat by making loud noises or blowing into the microphone. But since that system wasn't available in the United States, that part was taken out of the U.S. version. As I became a fan of The Legend of Zelda, I started to catch up on the marketing that was going on, and I would see it in magazines. But really, the thing that was amazing about this game was that gold-colored cartridge. It really made it stand out. And a hit it was, by 1988, they had sold 2 million of these gold cartridges in the U.S. And I don't think it had to do with the fact that Nintendo didn't have a lot of games at this point. They had enough. It's the quality, but also it had really good marketing. As you heard me play that commercial earlier, had a pretty high budget. So high concept, they were thinking, trying to come up with something clever. They hired John Cassier to make all those fun noises, but they ran it everywhere. So you got to see it all the time, and it made you curious, because you might not see it here, but there are images of the game, real footage of the game in the commercial. So you got to see it in action, and it made you want it. Critics in both Japan and the United States both loved it. And as I said, it sold two million. In the United States, on its first day of release, because everybody wanted this system, it would sell a million copies in Japan and would sell a total of 1.69 million copies for the Famicom disk system in Japan alone. It would become the first NES game to sell over a million units in Japan, and by the time they finished selling this thing, they had moved 6.5 million copies worldwide, and that doesn't even count ports and everything else that would follow later. Critics at the time praised the music and the graphics and the open world. It was a rich, deep experience. If you hadn't played games on computers, and computer games, while deeper, didn't really match up with the polish that you got with The Legend of Zelda. Because not only did this game raise my bar for console games, this is what I wanted moving forward, but also made me want better games on my computers, my Commodores, and eventually my PC where I would game. I won't stop talking about its reception in the United States without playing probably one of the more famous bits of marketing for The Legend of Zelda, The Legend of Zelda Rap. So if you haven't heard this before, and I'm going to guess most of you have, sit back, relax. This is a fairly remarkable piece of advertising. Did you see the latest Nintendo newsletter? Whoa, nice graphics. I'd like to get my hands on that game. You mean you haven't played it yet? We can play it on my Nintendo Entertainment System. It's the Legend of Zelda, and it's really rad. Those creatures from Ganon are pretty bad. Octoroks, Tektik's Levers too. But with your help, our hero pulls through. Yeah, wicky go, Link. Wicky. Yeah, wicky. get some Awesome. Intense. The Nintendo Entertainment System. Your parents help you hook it up. The game was very popular and would get re-released. As I mentioned, it would get a Famicom release in 1994. And then in 2001, the game was re-released in the GameCube game Animal Crossing. And then again in 2003, as the Legend of Zelda Collector's Edition for the GameCube. And then in 2004, on the Game Boy Advance, along with the sequel, The Adventure of Link. And then in 2006, it was released on the Wii's Virtual Console. Almost all of these releases are identical to the original. They would do some spelling changes, things that they could fix that they had missed the first time around. In 2021, Nintendo released a Legend of Zelda edition of the Game & Watch console, which was similar to a re release Super Mario Bros. one that they had done. This version would include not just Legend of Zelda, but The Legend of Zelda 2, Adventures of Link, and the Game Boy version of Link's Awakening. Nintendo was pretty savvy about marketing and advertising and partnerships, and they would release some altered versions of the game. Most famously, there was a promotional advertisement campaign for a food company that released a version of Legend of Zelda in 86 that's quite sought after. There would be lots of other Zelda games that would follow. I have a timeline of them. In 86, you had The Legend of Zelda. And the very next year, you had The Adventure of Link. In 91, A Link to the Past... In 1993, Link's Awakening. In 1998, Ocarina of Time. In 2000, Majora's Mask. 2001, Oracle of Season and Oracle of Ages. 2002, Four Swords and the Wind Waker. In 2004, Four Swords Adventure. The Minish Cap. 2006, Twilight Princess. 2007, Phantom Hourglass. 2009, Spirit Tracks. In 2011, Ocarina of Time 3D and Skyward Sword. In 2013, The Wind Waker HD and A Link Between Worlds. In 2015, Majora's Mask 3D and The Triforce Heroes... In 2016, Twilight Princess HD. In 2017, Breath of the Wild. In 2019, Link's Awakening. In 2021, Skyward Sword HD. And then finally, in 2023, Tears of the Kingdom. So you got some HD releases, which are basically kind of re-releases of earlier games, and then a lot of original Zelda material coming in in between. I read through this list, and I couldn't believe how many games there were, because I only played a couple of these over time, and haven't really been in on the newest consoles lately, although I hear about how good they are all the time. You get The Legend of Zelda. You open the front of your console, slide that cartridge in, push it down, hit that power button, and you hear this. that is music done by Koji Kondo. He would compose all the music for the game. Originally, what you heard was supposed to be Bolero by Maurice Ravel, but they were forced to change it late in the development cycle after learning that the copyright for the piece had not expired yet. So we had to come up with a new arrangement within one day. And he did a great job because that music would become iconic right up there with the music from Super Mario Brothers. They would eventually release that music if you wanted to hear it. A lot of people post it online, so it's not hard to find, but there's also an album called Famicom 20th Anniversary Original Soundtracks Volume 1. To create the music for the game, Kondo would write on piano and then convert it to NES by entering the music in assembly. Koji Kondo was born in 1961. He is a composer, sound designer, who works for Nintendo. When he was at his university, he saw a recruiting message from Nintendo saying they needed a sound programmer and someone to do music composition. And he applied for the job, even though he didn't have any demo tapes. He loved synthesizers and he loved games. So he thought, that's for me. And so he interviewed with one company and that's where he's been ever since. He was the third person hired by Nintendo to create music and sound effects for its games, but he was the first of those employees to specialize in musical composition. And his list of credits is impressive, starting with Punch-Out! He would work on Super Mario Bros., The Legend of Zelda, Star Fox, Yoshi's Island, just about every Mario game in between, and a bunch of the Zelda titles. And that's where he's chiefly credited. He also contributed to a lot of other music as well. There's a great interview over at Nintendo life where Miyamoto, Tezuka, and Kondo sort of reminisce about how they were going to get this music into the game after learning that Bolero was not going to be used and how well it synced up with what they had. And it was just too close of a call for copyright comfort. And so he did an all-nighter, like lots of other creatives have to do, and managed to get it in there how important The Legend of Zelda is to any video game that would follow after it. The modern video game world, not just the action role-playing or RPG world that it helped to establish. Its music, its creativity, the mythology around it, these were things that was maybe happening from some computer developers, but it raised the bar on consoles, something that many more people had access to. And by raising the bar, they made all games that would follow just a bit better. And if it just stopped with one game, that would be impressive, but they would continue to take these characters and this world and grow them into a powerhouse that still makes big news when they release a new game. But remember, it all started way back in the 80s with this remarkable game. So if you have access to original hardware, why not fire up The Legend of Zelda? You could also emulate the game or buy it on a modern console. It might seem simple to some people, but if you give it some time, let that music wash over you, get out some paper and start mapping. You'll find it an engaging and maybe even kind of life-altering experience. Thanks for listening to the show For more retro fun You can drop by the website At Retroist.com You can follow me on social media I'm at all the major players At the username Retroist Music you hear on the show Is by Peachy If you like what you hear You should follow Peachy On Twitter and Twitch He's at PeachyPixel8 That's the word Peachy The word Pixel And the number 8 Thanks to everyone Who's been supporting the show If you'd like to support the show You can do so Pretty easily By giving the show A 5 star review Wherever you download the show It's really those 5 star reviews That help people find the show and if you could do that, I'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show further, you should check out the Retroist Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash retroist. For just a few bucks a month, you get bonus episodes, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord, the greatest retro community on the internet. Thanks to everyone for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. dangerous to go alone. Take this. This has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.